Well, for those who may not know me, uh, my name is uh, Richard. Uh, I'm normally down at uh, Woodland Southside uh, Congregation on a Sunday afternoon, which is the congregation that myself and uh, Nikki lead. Uh, but it's fantastic to be here. And I think the, uh, the sense of Jesus for the nations, which is the, uh, the topic that I was given, uh, is probably my, my greatest passion. Uh, do lots of stuff across, uh, across Bristol, uh, both in connection with Southside and in addition to it. But probably there's no greater passion I have than that sense of Jesus for the nations. Um, so what I would like to do is I just want to share a small reading from Romans 15. I should say hi to you as well if you're watching online. Because I guess as we are, uh, as we are meeting here today, and we're talking about the nations, that we're worth remembering that we're standing in a great tradition of women and men who've gone before us, you know, with great sacrifice and passion to the nations. And we get a little insight into uh, one, of those, uh, one of those times in the church's life in Romans 15. So Paul is writing to the church at Rome. Rome, Paul, who started lots of the earliest churches. And uh, he, writes these, he writes these words, and I guess they contain certain good principles that it's worth us trying to follow today as we, we look to the nations. It says here, verse 17 of chapter 15, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles, that's those of other nations outside the Jewish people, to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who are not told about him will see. And those who have not heard will understand. This is why I've often been hindered from coming to you. But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I've been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and that you will assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. And then in verse 30, he encourages uh, the believers at Rome to pray for him. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to join me in my struggle, my struggle for the nations, by praying to God for me. They're brilliant words, aren't they? Words of great passion. And it's that passion that the church has really held on to uh, throughout the years. I love the way that the, uh, the message version uh, of the Bible uh, interprets verse 19. I have trailblazed a preaching of the message of Jesus all the way from Jerusalem far into northwestern Greece. This has all been pioneer work, bringing the message only into those places where Jesus was not yet known and worshipped. And it's great that Paul could say in verse 23 there in Romans uh, that there was no place left for him. 
And I think what he meant by that when he was looking at the surrounding region, he meant that in that surrounding region, so many churches had been successfully planted that there was no place left for him to be breaking new ground. And so instead, he was going to wider nations. And so what about us today? Clearly, we've got the many nations that we can find here uh, in Bristol, but I'm going to assert some self-control and not so much talk about the nations that we find here today because the feel of today really is the physical nations of the world. So what do we we do? Clearly, we support our global partners and other workers uh, beyond, uh, but what should we do? Uh, Because it, it, it remains, it remains such a live, real issue for us. Some of you may be aware of the language of unreached uh, people groups. I think it was Chris there. Is it Chris and Mandy? Uh, in Uganda, Chris used, uh, used the language there. That there are still a large number of unreached people groups today. In fact, there are 7,000 unreached people groups. An unreached people group uh, is defined by a people group where less than 2% of people have a committed relationship with Jesus. So there's 7,000 people groups where less than 2% of those people groups know Jesus uh, in a real way. And that 7,000 people groups actually makes up a staggering 3.4 billion people. That's astounding, isn't it? That is astounding. So the, the church throughout the generations has done enormous wonders in spreading the good news of Jesus. But there's still more to be done, and not least because of the the huge population growth of the world's population that's been taking place. So 7,000 unreached people groups, 3.4 billion people. And the other statistic maybe to hold on to, and it's the last statistic I'll share today so you don't have to worry too much, is that of those 7,000 people groups, 5,000 of those people groups are what are referred to as frontier people groups. And those 5,000 frontier people groups, each of those groups have less than 0.1% of people who know Jesus. So 5,000 people groups, 0.1% of people who know Jesus, and that corresponds to 2 billion people. Again, a huge, a huge, huge number. And so we've got to be passionate about this. One commentator writes that we should inhale the lostness of our world and exhale a passion for reaching it. So how do we do this? Well, the principle still remains to go. It still remains a principle, not least because of those statistics that I've just shared. And of course, there's lots of different ways that we can do that, such as short-term mission that we have just made mention to. But the thrust of the New Testament teaching still holds true to go. We know Jesus on several different occasions taught this. We see this in places such as Matthew 28, verse 19. Mark 16, verse 15. Luke 24, verse 47. And those three separate examples, we see Jesus talking about going to the nations. And then in Acts 1 verse 8, his very last words after he'd come back to life, after he'd, you know, he was making his resurrection appearances, his very last words before he ascended to his father was to go into all nations. And this theme is then carried on throughout the New Testament. People like Peter get a passion for this. And so we see Peter in 2, 2 Peter 3 verse 2 talking about explaining why Jesus has not yet returned. 
because God wants everyone to come to a place of belief, life-transforming belief in Jesus. And then Paul, who I've already mentioned, picks this theme up in Romans. We have his very powerful words in Romans 10. Romans 10, 14 to 15. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? So the challenge, the invitation is still there for us. And the reality is, as we know, is that Jesus died for every single one of those 3.4 billion people who we find in the unreached people groups. He died for everyone. And I know that uh, in this place here, there is so many stories of how Jesus has dramatically changed our lives and brought freedom and hope and love into our lives, has given us a capacity to keep going through life, life's hardest circumstances. And actually, we want all people to know that, don't we? Clearly, being a believer has eternal consequences, but as well as eternal consequences, there's massive consequences for how we actually navigate life. It's the both dimensions. I love the richness of uh, King David's language in Psalm 16, verse 11, where in reflecting upon his own faith, he writes, you make known to me the path of life. Do you like that language? You make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. So let us be committed to going. And of course, if we're going for short term, long term, you know, this does mean that we have to be willing to give up some comfort, be willing to embrace risk, be willing to embrace uncertainty. And particularly if we are working amongst the world's unreached groups, those frontier groups that I mentioned, it's not going to be easy because those groups are frontier groups, because generally they have been resistant to the gospel. In addition to uh, doing the Woodlands, uh, helping lead Woodlands Southside, uh, both me and Nikki also have the privilege uh, of doing some, uh, some coaching, some gentle training. Uh, we, we learn far more in the process than we give, I think it's fair to say, with indigenous church planters in different parts of the world. And doing that is just, just an amazing privilege and to actually be coaching people and listening, to pe listening with people as they're journeying through extreme persecution, um, it's sobering, it's sobering, it's challenging, and it's immensely, immensely moving, as I'm sure some of you have also experienced in some of your wider relationships with believers in other parts of the world. In particular, there was a time a few years ago when I was in the Horn of Africa, it's great to have a flag of Somalia here today. I don't think I've ever spoken anywhere that's got a flag of Somalia. One of the great unreached people groups. And uh, I was in the Horn of Africa. And, um, and I was there when the group of believers that I was with actually received news that one of their number uh, had been killed. Uh, they were working as a security guard. It was a targeted killing. And they received that news. There was great tears, outpouring of grief. Um, and then they... Yeah, that evening finished with them saying, we're just going to keep going. We're going to keep going. We're going to keep being steadfast. I was recently uh, engaging with a believer in North Africa. Uh, she's a teacher in a school. And I just said, you know, I was making 
everyday conversation with her while I was visiting, and I just said, um, you know, what's the job market like, as you would do? And she said, well, actually, there's only, one, there's only one school that I could work for in this city. And in my ignorance, I said, oh, why is that? Well, it's the only school that would let her work there as a believer. A huge city, millions of people. Only one school would let believers work there. So persecution, as we know, takes lots of, uh, lots of different uh, forms. And I love the language as well. Uh, I sometimes do this. If anyone says to me, what's the gospel about? What does it mean? I love the language we find um, that John uses in 1 John 3, verse 23, where John, he's, he's talking about God's great command. And he says, God's great command is to believe on Jesus and to love one another. God's command is to believe on Jesus and to love one another. And as we go, why do we go? Because God calls us, to, you know, wants all people to believe on Jesus. He's the only way to, to salvation. So that's why we go. But how do we go? We go in the spirit of love. We lay down our Western values, our Western outlook, and we go and just share our lives in a spirit of love. And that's amazing when you look at the whole range of things that our global partners are doing and you just see the absolute personification of love. Whether that is in the form of uh, poverty relief, whether that is in the form of, I don't know, trauma counselling, adoption work, fostering work, whether it's in campaigns to raise new levels of dignity for women, whether it's working with victims of people trafficking, sex, sex, uh, sex industry in different places, you know, whatever it might be, or whether it's simply training and teaching, you know, we do it all in the spirit of love. So let me encourage you to be thinking about going, and if long-term, you know, is not right for you, well, actually continue to consider short-term. And what else do we do in addition to going? Well, we do what we've just done this morning. We give, and that's massively important. And again, it was part and parcel of the life and development of the early church. I don't know if you picked up the reference there. Paul is saying that there's no place left in the regions of Rome for him to pioneer new ground in sharing the faith. He says he wants to go to Spain, and he asks them to assist him in the journey, and no doubt in the wider work and stuff. That was a financial appeal. You know, will you help me financially as I go to Spain? We're all in this together. Yes, some of you are called to remain in Rome. You've got your own networks, your own, you know, you know, God is using you in Rome in different ways. But actually, come with me in spirit by, you know, by giving. And so let us not, and I'm sure we don't, because the heart of Woodlands is a heart of uh, generosity and tenderness of heart and responsiveness to the Holy Spirit and we, we know that and we protect God and thank that for that for God but let us in no sense when our global partners are making requests to us let us go for it as best we can and even small donations you know multiple small donations you know go such a long way and then there's also the work I think of some of the indigenous partners that, uh, that myself and Nikki work with uh, and uh, these guys are so sacrificial. They don't talk about money too much. But when you ask them their needs, you know, I, I took a team on a short-term mission to northern Kenya a few years ago. Southern Kenya is strongly Christian. Parts of northern Kenya are absolutely unreached. Some of the most unreached uh, people groups in the whole world. And one of the needs they have is for motorbikes because the workers there are wanting to go out from village to village sparing the good news. They need motorbikes, but they don't have the material uh, means for doing that. 
number of the guys that we work with are seeing loads of people come to faith through social media. And of course, some people who first use social media and say that they are Christians, not everyone is honest in that. So there needs to be a testing period to, you know, to work out whether someone is sincere in their inquiry. But actually, when it's felt that they are sincere, actually, these believers go and, go and meet them. And a bit like Paul going to Spain, yeah, this can be thousands of thousands of miles, particularly if they're in a frontier group where only 0.1% of that people group know Jesus can't just send someone a message and say will you go and uh, meet so and so because the people are just not there and when they are there they're often secret uh, believers that haven't uh, you know you know declared their declared their faith I think of another a friend of mine who's welcoming and believers uh, persecuted in the Horn of Africa uh, she's developed a safe house uh, for females female victims of persecution of violence and I had the privilege of visiting that safe house Perhaps she now wants to develop another safe house, but doesn't have the means uh, for doing that. So we're called to give. Uh, we need to be wise in that. We've got to make sure that money doesn't distort relationships. So it's helpful when we're giving if there's a pre-existing uh, relationship there. Uh, but we have to be, uh, remain committed to, you know, to going and to giving. And what else do we have to be committed to doing? The third key response has to be that of prayer. That's how Paul finishes his appeal here, isn't it, to the Roman church? You know, pray for me. You know, you're sending me, I'm going. I want you to financially assist me where you can, but also pray for me in the struggle. And it is a struggle. It is a struggle. But pray. You know, for those who know the book of Acts, you'll see the, the great church at Antioch that sent countless numbers of believers out to different, different parts of the world. Well, when you read Acts 13, verse 1, you see that um, the original sending out of Barnabas and Paul, that, that, that was during a prayer meeting. That was the voice of God speaking in a prayer meeting. It was in the midst of prayer that you could say the kind of missions movement uh, began. So let us be committed to prayer. You might find useful, I don't know if anyone uses it, but um, the Joshua Project, if you stick that into Google, you'll get some of the stats and a, a further breakdown of the stats that I've shared this morning. And the Joshua Project also have an app where you can actually prayerfully adopt an unreached people group and you can make it your group. I've adopted the Somali people. They drive my family mad because whenever I see a Somali person, I'll engage them, I'll talk with them and they all back off at that point and pretend they don't know me. But... Um, but, you know, there's an app you can, you, you know, you can pray for an unreached people group every day. Or you can say, actually, once a week, this is the unreached people group that I'm going to pray for. For those of you who are in families or whatever or friendship groups and you eat together, you can say, actually, I don't know, this night of the week, actually, this is the night we're going to pray, you know, for this particular uh, unreached uh, people group. And uh, part of the, the language that I love, uh, that I, I find helpful in prayer is Isaiah 45. Verses 2 to 3. And the context here is of kind of military battles. It's about the Persians overthrowing the Babylonians. But I think with our New Testament understanding, uh, I think that we can apply this uh, language in terms of the spiritual battle that sometimes surrounds the sense of Jesus being for all nations. So I 45, 2 to 3 says this. Uh, I will go before you. This is God speaking. I will go before you and will level the mountains. I will break down gates of bronze and cut through bars of iron I will give you hidden treasures riches stored in secret places so that you may know that I am the Lord the God of Israel who summons you by name and I just love that language it motivates me to pray 
And sometimes when I think about the, the, the opposition, the obstacles that can surround unreached people groups coming to faith, it sometimes feels like uh, gates of bronze and bars of iron need to be cut through. Well, how do we cut through those things? Well, we cut through them in prayer, in the power of Jesus' name, and we cut through them in that spirit of self-sacrificial love uh, that I've been uh, speaking about. And I think it's, uh, it's the first Monday of every month. We have global partners uh, prayer meeting here. It's also streamed. Um, you know, try, try and engage with it uh, because these, these things are just of eternal significance. So we go, we give, and we pray. And there's a responsibility that comes with this, isn't it? It's a responsibility. And we've got to take up this responsibility. The language of Jesus, those gospel references earlier, Jesus sending us to the nations, that, that, that language has become known as the Great Commission. I'm sure most of you are familiar with that. And the Great Commission is known for having three R's. It's known for being great because of its results. That knowing Jesus produces the greatest life-transforming result that you could ever experience. It's great in its result. It's great in its reach that Jesus died for every single person. Revelation 5, 9, he died for every, uh, every tongue, every person, every language, every nation. So it's great in its reach. No one is separated from the love of God, no matter how unreached they might seem or how bad they might perceive they are. Jesus cares for everyone equally. And lastly, it's great in its responsibility. And how do we rise to that responsibility? By going, by giving, and by praying. Amen.